This is Admission Granted, brought to you by Upstate Medical University Admissions. And in this series, we are discussing the ins and outs of applying to and entering the field of medicine. Welcome back for another episode of Admission Granted, where today we're going to be talking about our fifth key, the application process to medical school. So when it comes time to apply with the AMCAST application, there's a couple things that you're going to want to keep in mind before applying, and we're going to lay those out into three kind of big categories. We're going to talk about when to apply, all the pieces that you need before you apply, and the actual application itself. Now, before we start talking about the timeline, I just wanted to briefly introduce the AMC application itself, just so you guys can get familiar with it, um, so you know some of the terminology of what I'm talking about. So the application process starts with the primary application, and that opens up in early May. So that includes your biographical information, your personal statement, your transcript, all of your courses that you've taken, your grades. So it's more of just kind of a formality almost as well as your personal statement. And so you're going to want to get all that compiled, and then you submit that in late May, early June. And then you have to wait. It usually takes about a month for your secondary applications to come. So after you submit your primaries, the schools will receive that information, and then they'll send you basically their own supplemental questions and their own application that they're going to want you to submit. So you only submit one primary application to all the schools that you're applying to. So you only need to fill it out once and you send it to all the schools that are on your application list. And then each individual school will send you their own application, which consists of some more information and supplemental essays. This could be one essay, it could be five essays, it depends on, and the lengths vary, so it really depends on the school, but they're each going to send you their own. So if you apply to 30 schools, you only have to send one primary application to those 30 schools, but you're going to get 30 individual applications that you then have to go through and fill out. And some of them have their own websites and their own portals. It can get a little bit confusing, but just make sure you're checking your email. And so you're going to get those secondary applications, usually starting in like early July, uh, first or second week of July, and they're going to filter through all the way until mid-August, early mid-August. So just make sure you're checking your emails and keeping an eye out for when you're getting those secondaries back. Okay, so now that that's taken care of, we can start talking about the timeline of when you want to start applying for your primaries and secondaries. So you're going to want to start applying about a year before you actually are going to matriculate. So to give an example, I took one gap year after college, so I applied the June after my senior year. So right after graduation that June, I submitted my primaries, and then I submitted the secondaries uh, in July and August. And then so I matriculated that following August, so a year from from the August after I actually graduated college is when I matriculated. So similar to how you were doing for undergrad and for any other graduate school, it just is a little bit earlier typically than a lot of those other ones. So just keep that in mind. So all applications are reviewed on a rolling basis, meaning that the earlier the schools get your application, the earlier you'll be reviewed. So something to keep in mind is that the application actually opens May 3rd, even though you can't submit it until May 27th. Now this might change year to year uh, slightly, in terms of the dates, but generally at the beginning of May, the application opens. So what that means is you can actually go in and fill out the application for your primary application and write up your essays, uh, get all the basic information in. That way, right on May 27th, you can just hit that submit button and it'll submit out and you'll be in that first pool of applicants that goes out. I would highly recommend trying to, if you can, work on your application and get that finalized before May 27th. That way, right on that time, you can just hit it and go because you're going to be seen earlier. You'll get your secondary applications earlier. That way you can start writing them and you can just get those secondary applications out as early as possible because it really is important to make sure that you're in that first cycle, which is really important for securing interviews as early as possible.
Now, for example, someone like me, I was in school and taking finals in May, and my graduation wasn't until late May, so I wasn't able to submit mine until early June. But I really would recommend not waiting any later than that first week in June. It's okay if you don't submit it right on May 27th or whenever that date is, but you really do want to make sure that you get that primary application out in that first week of June. That way you can get your secondary starting in early July, and so you can get working on those as soon as possible. Okay, so now that we've talked a little bit about the timeline and when you should be applying and submitting that primary application, we're now going to talk about everything you're going to need to have ready and prepared before actually submitting it at that time. So one thing that you need to have completed is your MCAT. And it's important to remember that after taking your MCAT, it takes a month usually for that score to come back. And Ideally, you would want to have that score come back before you apply and send in those primaries on May 27th. Now, if you had to, you could take your MCAT in June and have your score back in July to send along with your secondary applications into your med schools that you're applying to. However, I don't recommend this because your application won't be able to be reviewed until your MCAT score comes in. So you absolutely want to make sure that your score is in by the time you've completed your secondary essays. So the next really important piece that we wanted to talk about is your committee letter. So basically what this is, is your institution that you attended for undergrad, they're basically writing you a letter of recommendation based on the pre-health committee. So it's really important that you start meeting with your pre-health advisor as early as possible. I would recommend if you're a college sophomore or a freshman, start meeting with them as soon as possible. Just meet with them once a semester. Get to know them because they're going to want be the ones that end up writing your letter of recommendation essentially on behalf of your school endorsing you. So it's important to even just meet with them, just, you know, introduce yourself, start having conversations, you know, get some advice from them. They have their great, re, you know, resources to navigate your way through the pre-med process as well. So it's going to be great to not just get to know them for, you know, the committee letter, but also just to be able to better yourself um, and better your understanding of your education at your school. So it's definitely important to start meeting with them early and establish that, um, you know, rapport with them. Um, and so when it comes to your senior year, then you generally are going to have an interview with that with that person. And you're going to go through, you know, they'll ask you some questions about why you want to be a doctor, um, you know, talk about your coursework, you know, have things that you want to talk about that, you know, things you might think make you a good doctor and good, a good fit for medicine. And you'll go through a whole interview process, essentially, that um, will allow them then to compile a bunch of other things, which generally include all of your letters of recommendation and your personal statement. And then they will basically write their own letter of recommendation. And some schools rank you on a scale of how well they think you're going to do. And then they will send that to med schools. So the point of me telling you this is that you want to start thinking about this early, especially for schools that are that are bigger, like some bigger state schools or some bigger private schools, the big institutions. There's going to be a lot of students. And basically, when they go to write these, they do them in the order that you meet with them sometimes. So you want to make sure you're getting this done like early in the fall of your senior year or your fall of whenever you're before you're applying. So if you, even if you took, let's say you take two gap years, the year before that fall, so it's like basically like six or seven months before you even start applying in June, you're going to want to start thinking about meeting with them. And so that means having your personal statement written and starting to think about your letters of rec. And the reason you want to meet with them sooner than later is because Oftentimes, if there's a lot of people at your school, they're going to write them based on the order that you interview, and this could really delay your application for your primary if they get really, you know, bogged down. So if there's a situation, something at my school, I know a lot of the people who, who interviewed later, they had their applications delayed because they didn't actually have their committee letter in because they were one of the last people to interview. So it's really important to get this done as soon as possible. 
And so, you know, talking a little bit about the pieces of it, right, you do need your references. So it's going to depend on what your institution actually requires. So I think really the first thing I would recommend is just to go online into your institution's website, go to your, you know, your pre-health committee page and just find out. They'll, they'll usually have a big document laying out everything you need for the committee letter and for the AMCAS application. So I would highly recommend really getting familiar with that and knowing your way around that. And then generally they'll have their own portal for the committee letter. And so I can't speak to what every institution does, but for example, what my school required was they required all of their letters of recommendation to have compiled and submitted through their portal system. And then my advisor really strongly suggested that I had at least a draft of my personal statement that they could read over beforehand. And then of course, it also, you know, consisted of the interview itself. And I also had to have a resume printed out for them as well. So those are things you're going to want to make sure that you start thinking about really very early in your application process and thinking about, so for me, again, if this is happening in the fall before I even apply, so this was the fall of my senior year, I started thinking about it in the summer at the very start of my semester, because I started writing my personal statement, which took me about, you know, a month. So I wrote my personal statements. And of course, it takes a lot of time to ask your professors for letters of recommendation. And so you're going to need, you know, a couple science professors, you know, you'll need a non-science course, so like maybe an English professor, you're going to need you know, maybe an extracurricular that you've done, some research, uh, maybe some clinical experience people that you've worked with. So it's important to get those connections and ask and reach out to those people as early as possible because it's going to take them time as well. So if you can reach out to those letters of rec writers as early as possible, even like at the start of your semester or at the start of, you know, in the fall or in the summer, um, really as soon as possible, because a lot of times also the professors might be people that you haven't taken classes with for a couple years. So, you know, I highly recommend going in person if you can. What I did was I printed out my resume, I printed out my personal statement once I had it, and I printed out an, a guide of what they needed to do based on the website of what they had. And I included you know, a bunch of things about me that I thought would have maybe either jogged their memory or maybe I included an assignment for my, like I had an English essay that I sent my English professor. Just give them a refresher of who you are and meeting with them in person is much better than an email. You know, Send an email, say hi, I you know, was interested if you'd be interested in writing a letter of recommendation for me. Would you mind coming in and having a meeting that way uh, you know, I can give you some documents and we can just kind of catch up. And, you know, then meeting with them and giving them those that information really will make a strong impression on them and it'll give them a lot more to be able to write with. So start thinking about that as early as possible, as well as writing your personal statement. So it's going to you're going to it's going to be a process with writing that as well. And it's going to help to also have your advisor look it over and read it. So I would recommend getting that done early in you know the summer, fall time. Um, so you have that to be able to include with your committee letter. Now, again, each school is going to have their own recommendations. So based off what's on the school and what's on the website, just go off that. But my biggest point here is that you want to make sure that you're doing this as early as possible and also that you're meeting with your advisor starting as soon as you can, right when you get to campus. I think that's also really important and something that definitely helped me when it came to applying. Now, the last thing I want to mention about the committee letter is that you don't actually have to include it. Um, some people choose not to, or if they've been out of school for too long, or you know they just want to include their, of, their letters of rec on their own and they don't want to include their committee letter. Generally, I would really recommend against this because it sometimes can alert institutions as to raising some questions about why they think you're not including the committee letter. Now, this, of course, is not true for all of the cases, and there's oftentimes reasons why you might not want to include your committee letter. Um, and so there's definitely circumstances in which it's okay. But I would recommend if you do go to if you do go to a you know undergraduate school where you've attended all four years and you have a good reputation to definitely include it because it's just going to be a very strong endorsement from a very powerful entity that is going to really carry some weight in your application. So I know that was long, but I really wanted to introduce what it is and what's important about the committee letter before we really break this down. So 
Now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty details about all the things you need. And so the big three things that you need are the letters of rec, the personal statement, and then also preparing and actually going through the interview process for just the committee letter itself. So we're going to break those down for you now. So regarding letters of recommendation, I advise asking for those the, as soon as possible. I mean, the earlier, the better uh, during the year in, in which you plan on applying. Uh, it's just important to remember to give them at least a month's heads up for writing your letters of rec. And you can also go on to your uh, undergraduate school's website to look up for guidance, guidelines for how many letters of recommendation they require and they want you to have. Uh, usually your school will have some sort of pre-health handbook and will relate to you their, uh, their required numbers of letters of recommendation. You want one clinical experience letter, one research letter, two science letters, one non-science letter, and one extracurricular letter. But again, make sure that you check your undergraduate school's website to check for those strict requirements that they have regarding those letters. And I would like to reinforce what John said earlier. It would be a good idea to just compile a packet of information about yourself that includes, uh, let's say, your personal statement, your resume, any other information about yourself in order to give to those individuals that you want writing your letters of recommendation, as well as it's a good idea to meet with those individuals beforehand, before they write your letter of recommendation. And one last thing about the letters of rec, and this is something that I really wish that I had done in my undergraduate experience. I wish that I had been a little bit more cognizant of when I was going to be applying and of who I was going to ask to be my letters of rec writers, because from let's so for example, I used an English professor as my non-science, uh, and the class I took was like the first semester of my freshman year. And so back when I was a senior, luckily that professor remembered me, and I was able to send them uh, a final essay that I had, um, so to kind of jog their memory, and and it was okay. But I almost wish that I had asked them after I had taken the class, even if it was my freshman year, just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to be applying to medical school. I was wondering if you could write a letter of recommendation and just keep it and save it and have it on file just so you can use it when I end up applying because that's just going to give them the most useful information to go off of. It's going to be fresh in their mind. So that's something just to, just to think about. If you really connect with a professor early on in your career and you find that good connection and you really want them, you think, hey, maybe I want them to write my letter of rec down the line. It's never a bad idea to just ask them after you take the course, hey, could you preemptively write me a letter? That way they can really make their letter of rec much more personalized and they're not just going to maybe fill it out from a template if they don't remember you that well. So just something to think about as you're going through undergrad to keep in the back of your head. So we've talked a lot about the letters of rec, and the second thing I wanted to talk about for the committee letter is uh, the interview itself. So you're probably going to meet with your uh, pre-health advisor or somebody um, in, the, in your committee that uh, is the head of the department, and you're going to have just a one-on-one -on -one interview. They're going to ask you probably about your experiences, about your resume, you know, a little, a little bit about yourself and why you want to become a doctor. So you know, I think what's really important for this is, you know, you'll have your resume. And I also, again, strongly recommend that you write your personal statement beforehand. That way you can hand it to them. And it just lets them know you in a little bit more of a personal way. And it'll show a lot of really great dedication that you're really ready to apply. But you're going to want to prepare with kind of understanding all of your experiences and being able to link each experience to something that you've learned and or and a skill specifically that you've gained from that, that will help you when becoming a doctor. So for example, if the clinical work you've done, maybe you volunteered somewhere, 
Uh, you know, you've learned maybe how to work as a team. You've learned a lot about uh, patient contact and how to talk to patients and how to work together and, and you know, teamwork. Maybe that, that's the skill you can get from that. Uh, you know, research, maybe you get dedication. You learn attention to detail. Um, and then being able to link that to how you can be a good physician and how that really links to being able to understand and help others. So have something from all your experiences. Find one skill that you can use and you can talk about when they're going to ask you about that in your interview because generally they're going to probably just go down your resume and ask you about all your experiences. And so to be able to have something that you can talk about and say, oh, I really learned this from this experience. I think that's going to be really powerful and say, and this is how it's going to make me a better doctor and a better physician, a better caretaker. That's really important, I think, to have one thing, one skill from each experience. And also being able to talk about anything else that you've done. So if you have any publications, make sure you know, you know your research, make sure you've read your publications front and back and that you can be able to talk about your research intelligently. Um, you know, all those things are also really important. But um, I think really just preparing and, and knowing your experiences and being able to link each one to a skill and be able to talk about it is, is what's really important for the interview. So now I'd like to talk about the personal statement. And it's important to write your personal statement way in advance before you start filling out your applications for AMCAS. Uh, it's, it's a good idea to even start uh, the fall or even winter break before your application cycle. And I'd strongly recommend having this personal statement completed before your committee interview with your pre-health advisor. And typically, the available space for the essay is approximately 5,300 characters. And it's important to remember that spaces are counted as characters. So this translates to approximately one page length for your personal statement. And you can go on to the AMCAS website and look up this exact character length that you need to have just to double check and to look up more information about your personal statement there. Also, if you're applying to an MD-PhD program, you have to also complete two additional essays besides your personal statement, and those additional essays include the MD-PhD essay as well as the Significant Research Experience essay. Now I'd like to talk about what to write in your personal statement. So the personal statement is about why you want to become a doctor. So typically, I would suggest that you take a personal experience you've had and just tell a story about it uh, and flash back to experiences you've had along the way that have led you to um, wanting to become a doctor. Yeah, I, I think there's really not a right way to do it. I think there's um, so many different methods that, that really work well. It just depends on your writing level. Um, I think being creative is really great. So if you have a, an idea for something that you might want to structure it as uh, and you think it's really creative and something that works for you, I think that's great. It really just depends on, again, your writing style. But um, you know, for me, what really worked was kind of like what Andrea was saying was kind of using a story. And so I worked in a hospice unit uh, in my undergrad experience. Uh, I volunteered there and that was a really meaningful experience to me. And so I had, I had a particular experience there that I, I wanted to kind of write a story about and kind of use that as kind of a central theme. And so I had written about that experience that I had there and I had used, um, I'd kind of written some flashbacks in terms of, um, you know, while I was in that event, in that moment, I was talking about, you know, how was it going to inform me into the decisions and, and how I handled that experience in hospice. And so, you know, I flashed back to all my different experiences, like my research, my shadowing, some of my schoolwork, you know, my athletics, things that I had learned from and kind of similar to like the interview that I was talking about. You know, I, I used, I talked about the experience and what I learned from it and the skill that I gained that could help me towards the current situation in the hospice unit that I was facing. And so, you know, I kind of used flashbacks to all my experiences. That way, I talked about why I wanted to become a doctor, how I'd grown and 
and, you know, through my experiences, figured out kind of what I wanted to do and that helping people was really my ultimate goal. And then also how every experience, you know, helped me go into the experience in hospice and how I could, you know, move forward in that situation, that particular situation that I decided to talk about. But um, so that really worked for me. And I think telling a story is always really great because it gives, you know, the the reader a little bit more of a coherent timeline and it keeps them more engaged uh, when it's a personal experience and especially if it's something that's meaningful to you. So that's what worked for me. And I think that's a good starting point, at least if you don't have um, really an idea of what you want to talk about. Just make sure you really talk about all your different experiences so they really get to know you and why um, you decided you wanted to become a doctor. And then not just why you wanted to become a doctor, but you know how has your experiences help you become a good doctor and help you become the best caretaker you possibly can. So that would be what I would recommend. So we've talked a lot about all the different things you need to have prepared before you start filling out your AMCAS application. And now we'd like to transition into filling out the app actual application. So John, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the first thing I want to talk about is how many schools you should be applying to, right? There's no right number, and I think it really depends on not only your budget, but also, you know, the schools that you're interested in, if you want to apply to DO or MD. So for me, I applied to a little over 30 schools, and I think that's on the higher end of the spectrum. But for me, I really wanted to make sure that I applied to a wide breadth of schools because you just really never know sometimes. Honestly, I feel like a lot of the process sometimes just comes down to luck. So I think casting a wide net is important, but you do have to keep in mind that it does cost money each application. And also you do want to figure out whether or not you want to do MD schools or maybe do DO schools. They're a little bit different. And so you can apply to kind of a little bit of each, or if you want to just target MD schools, I think somewhere in the 20 to 30 range is pretty reasonable. I think anywhere in that range is something that I would recommend. Um, even though I did do a little bit more, I don't think it was necessary looking back. But I do think it's good to, to, to at least maybe hit 20 if you can, because you just never know where you're going to get interviews, really. I mean, you could be a great applicant and get an interview somewhere that you didn't expect, and maybe you somewhere that you expected you might have, you don't. So you just never know. So I think it's important to cast kind of a wide net, personally. And so in terms of picking your schools, right, how do you pick the best school that's the best fit for you? So you're going to want to have to have this, uh, it's called the MSAR, it's the M-S-A-R, it's Medical School Admissions Requirements. It's basically, a, what it is, is it's a website It's a um, that has a hub of all the different med schools, it has all the requirements, it has basically their average MCAT, their average GPA, it has like all of the breakdown of their demographics, so like how many in-state students they accept, which is really an important piece of information. Um, it has their like acceptance rate matriculation rate, things like that. It has all the breakdowns for if they if they heavily emphasize clinical experience or they heavily emphasize research. It's a really great tool. So Google that and definitely get a subscription to it. It's really, I think it's that's going to be your main tool that you're going to use in terms of narrowing down your focus for what schools you want to go to. And so, you know, I think anywhere that's around your hometown, those type of schools, I would definitely apply to because those schools are going to like people that are in-state that are willing to stay in-state and probably going to be more likely to stay in-state and around the area. And so they really like to take local people. So if you have a school that's nearby to you, I definitely would recommend applying. Um, I also would recommend really looking and breaking down the in-state acceptance rates for each school. So I was kind of lucky being from New York that has a bunch of different medical schools, one of the most in the the country for the states that have the most amount of medical schools. So um, basically, 
what I would do is go and look for whatever state you're in and break down in all your medical schools, look at the percent of in-state students that they accept, because that'll give you an idea of whether or not they actually tend to accept out-of-state students. So when I went through and looked at their in-state acceptance rates, if they had a really high one and I wasn't in that state, I knew that it probably wasn't going to be a school that was going to be more likely to accept me. And so some schools maybe will have really high ones, like a lot of the state schools, but if they, you know, private schools uh, may not have that high. And so those you'll have maybe a better chance at. Um, And there's also schools that, for example, like literally only accept in-state students or there's different requirements for each one. So what I did is I basically compiled an Excel Excel spreadsheet of a bunch of different things like GPA, MCAT, in-state percentage, you know, tuition. And I, I kind of went through and and made a list of a bunch of places and also, you know, acceptance rates and based on your MCAT and your GPA and all of that, kind of narrow it down from there. And so I picked the schools that, first of all, were, all of them were in my state, well, all of the ones that I had high on my list. And then for the out-of-state ones, I ranked them by percent of um, percent of out-of-state acceptance. And that way I knew which schools maybe were more likely to accept out-of-state students because I do think that's really important. So just keep that in mind in terms of when you're narrowing down your schools. Um, but the MSAR is a really great tool. So, you know, now coming out to filling out the application, right? So the primary application itself, you obviously need your personal statement, your CV and your resume, um, you know, all the classes you have, your transcript information, biographical features, um, all the schools that you're planning to, to apply to, you have to, you know, have a list of all your schools. Um, and then of course it, it takes a lot of money, um, to do as well. Um, and so, and so again, we talked about this a little bit, but that this is going to come in late May, early June is when you're going to want to fill out these primary applications. Um, so now you've submitted your primary applications, hopefully in late May, you know, maybe first week of June. Now you're waiting for the secondary applications to come back. So during this time, it's actually a l- really important to start writing your supplemental essays at this time. So it's going to sound weird because you don't actually have your secondary applications come back yet. So how do you know, you know, what, what the essays are to start writing? Well, you can use this website called Student Doctor Network. Um, it's a website that basically is compiled for a bunch of medical students that help each other with the application process and with medical school, just tips and tricks. Um, you can also use Reddit. Reddit also will have good, um, you know, good threads about these schools. But so what I would recommend is go to Student Doctor Network and Google like 20, whatever the year before, Google the school and Google the supplemental essays. So that'll come up when you when you Google that in the search bar people will post what last year's supplemental essays were for that school. And generally speaking, most of them are the same. There's some that change every year. um, But for the most part, you can go and look either on Reddit or Student Doctor Network and find an outline or exactly the questions of what the supplemental experience, the supplement essays were. That way, you know, you can pre-write your essays. And that way, when you get those secondaries back, if they happen to be the same, you can just put them in and go. And that way you can get them out really quickly. So that's something that's really important and something that I definitely did and I found really useful. Um, and also, you know, by writing, you're going to you're gonna be writing tons of essays, editing, writing. It's going to be a, a pain, to be honest. But um, you can definitely use a lot of essays for other schools and just change some wording around, change the name of the schools. Um, so there's a lot of overlap. And that's what's really good about writing your essays early is that um, you have time once you get more information about what the actual essays are, if they're different, you have more time to kind of switch up and tweak and you're not having to rewrite completely new essays because you've guessed a lot of them beforehand. So that's something I really recommend to try to get your application out sooner because, again, it's rolling admission. So the earlier you get your applications in, the earlier you submit your secondaries once you get them back, the earlier they're going to review you and the better chance you're going to have to get an interview. So that is something I would definitely recommend as well. Uh, And the other things that you're going to need to know really is, again, the MCAT takes about a month to grade. So you really want to make sure you're taking that in June, early June, mid-June at the latest. That way you can have that submitted 
by the time and graded by the time you submit your secondaries in July. Um, so again, we've kind of talked about that before. But the last thing I want to say also about the supplemental essays is you should really have make sure you're having someone proofread it for you. And it's really, I, I know sometimes it's hard to be able to maybe not do it alone or if you have somebody like a, either a parent or a friend that maybe you could just have them run the essays by. It's really important to just get a second look at it because you know, oftentimes I missed a bunch of stuff when I was writing that maybe either my parents or my friends caught, um, even just, you know, grammar or spelling or, you know, stuff like that. It's just really important to have somebody proofread it. So because you really want to make sure you're not making errors on these essays, because, you know, it's really important. So having someone else get get, get some eyes on it and help you with the grammar and the spelling and proofreading is, is really important. So I would also recommend doing that. And so the last thing about the pieces that you really need for the applications are the Casper test. So we talked about this at the end of our episode two, where we talked about our second key, which was standardized tests in the MCAT. But it's basically just kind of like a situational-based test that you're going to take online um, that kind of is talks about, it gives you like medical situations and it asks you, it doesn't even actually have to be medical situations, just kind of ethical situations, and it asks you about what you would do. And there's like short answer questions that you have to answer based on each experience. So definitely you're going to want to have, have this done by, I would say, completed in June sometime, because again, it could take up to a month to grade. And it's just one of those other like sneaky tests that a lot of people don't know about until it's too late. And that could hold your application up. Not every school is going to require it. I would say a little under half of the schools that I applied to required it. But um, it is something that you're going to want to think about and probably have done maybe right after you submit your primary application, just go and take the CASPER test and get it done, register and get it done. Because it might take a month to grade, and that way you can include it with your secondary application. So just something to think about. And if you want more information, you can go to the end of our second episode to kind of get more information about it. But just another thing to keep in mind is to have that test done and ready to submit. All right, the very last thing I wanted to say is just take a deep breath here when we're, when we're thinking about these, right? It's going to be a lot of work, but I think the most important thing to think about when talking about applying is just really making sure that you're being consistent and doing it every day. And I know it kind of sounds like a lot, but this was one of the most busy periods that I had during that time because just from that span of like mid-June to like mid-late July, you just really need to be writing essays. And depending on how many schools you apply to, I know I applied on the higher end, but you're just going to need to keep writing and making sure that you're not getting you know, burned out and you're just doing it a little bit every day, right? Um, I think being consistent is something that will not only just make you really successful in medical school, but it's just something that is really important for applying because you're just going to have such a high volume of everything that you're doing. Um, so making sure that you just stay at it, you know, don't wait till the last minute, really try to be preemptive and write a little bit every day, you know, go to Student Doctor Network or Reddit, find those questions, make sure that you're writing the essays, and you're really spending a lot of time on it. I know it's hard, especially if you're working, but it's something that's going to be really important, and is really going to stand you out if your secondary essays are really good. So just be consistent, work on it every day, really try your hardest to, you know, make sure you're getting it done on time. And, and timing is just so, so incredibly important. I mean, it really is everything. Getting it done faster is is way better than waiting and waiting and sending it later, even if you're just tweaking. Like, really try to get it done early. I can't stress how important it is to get your applications off as soon as possible. So just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. Um, but it is going to be a lot of work and just making sure that you're, you know, staying dedicated and staying consistent and you'll be successful. So that's it for episode five, where we talked about the application process and everything you're going to need to know to be successful. And be sure to stay tuned for our next episode, where we're going to be talking about the sixth key, which is timing and tying everything together. So thank you so much for listening, and good luck out there. Until next time on Admission Granted.